I'm not into podcasts. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. What a hit! Back of the net. Hello and welcome to the Not A Pundit podcast. I'm Killian Ginnity and I am delighted you are joining us today. Now, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I'm an absolute football manager nut. I live out my dreams on that game. And I'm delighted today to have a man with me who is actually living that dream in real life. It is the one and only Charlie Pomroy. Now, how... I came across Charlie was through the Sweeper podcast recently where they talked about the Nauru national team. And we will get to that very, very, very shortly because uh, it's a fascinating story. But Charlie, how are you doing? Um, how did you end up in Cambodia? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, first and foremost, Walker, uh, thanks for having me. Um, i delighted to be here. Um, I mean, yes, Cambodia was it's an unusual choice for most, um, I think. 12 years ago when I arrived, it was almost unheard of. <laughs> um, but, you know, it kind of happened by accident, but it was a happy accident. Uh, I left the UK back in 2010. Uh, it was just a, it was a one-way ticket to India and, you know, my coaching licenses in my back pocket and a little bit of cash in my wallet. And it was just really just to get out there and see where the world could take me and where the world of football would lead me. Um, and yeah, landed in Cambodia. Um, originally, it was on a. It was to do a job uh, working with um, not-for-profit organisations, and the idea was just to bring them all together through football. Um, and that's that's developed into you know an academy, uh, which was then very very successful quickly, and that developed into a professional team. But we'll use that term loosely because I don't think we've quite managed to make that transition just yet. <laughs> but yeah, we're getting so. <laughs> so it kind of started off as the NGO and then ended up as the academy. Like, is there like academies in that kind of sense isn't unusual worldwide, and um, we see it in like in places like. Um, Qatar with Aspire and um, in the Philippines would say like the Azcals. Um, was this like a, a new thing to Cambodia or had this kind of thing been attempted before? Um, yeah, I mean, relatively new. I think back, back when we started, it was only really the capital city Phnom Penh that had any teams. So all of the professional football in the country was based in the capital um, or provinces surrounding the capital. Like you'd have like for example, like Watford to London, you know, we, our Watford to London club, you know, some would argue yes, some would argue no, you know, <laughs> so similar to that. So, but CMRE, where we are, there was no professional club, but an abundance of talent um, that I felt deserved that opportunity, not just, not just in Cambodia, but the idea for me was like, I genuinely believe that the young players that we had could go elsewhere and fulfill, you know, some football dreams. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a relatively new idea to Cambodia, I suppose. Um, but again, for me, it, we, I didn't set out to set out an academy. It was, it, it kind of just was a community program where we had some great players from one school, another few from another, these two over here, this goalkeeper over here. We were like, oh, if we put them all together, what a team we would have. <laughs> and then we just decided one day that we'd go and enter a tournament, which we won. 
And then from there, it was like, right, we need to just keep working with this group of boys. Like, let's work with them every single day. And from that, it blossomed into girls' teams and then youth teams or even younger teams. And it just accidentally became an academy, like, you know, <laughs> to that sense. And I mean, every step of the way, um, I mean, we're, we're paying the price for it now, I would suppose, but every step of the way, it's kind of just been a happy accident. It's just been the natural involvement of what we're doing. Um, we never, I never set out like community program for 18 months. And then in three years time, we've developed an academy, which will start graduating students to professional level. And then in 10 years time, we'll have enough players that are graduated and ready to play. Pro it was never anything like that. Um, and as I mentioned, like we're paying that price now because the jump from, you know, development to professional is so big mm. and it was a happy accident that we were offered the opportunity. Um, but you know, if I can live that moment again, <laughs> I would be like, Hey, we're not ready. Give us a year, <laughs> you know? Um, and how, but, how did that come about? Um, so Cambodia, Cambodia after COVID, uh, Cambodia reopened its league and they had a new company that was coming in, um, especially prior to the Southeast Asia Games. What they wanted was football to be a big, the most popular sport, but one that they could showcase to the rest of Asia um, that was developing in the country. So they bought in a new, com a new marketing company called the CPL and they would run the league. Um, and they created, they wanted two divisions. Before it was one big division um, of 14 teams and now, and they wanted two. So we were just a provincial side at the time winning, you know, our under 18 team was winning the provincial cup every year and they just had an extra spot and there was, it was going to be between us and another provincial team. But then I'm not quite sure what happened. But on the day of the league draw, we were expecting it would be, you know, uh, Bantam and Jai as the other team. So Bantam and Jai and Next Step, which of these two, one, one, but we were the first name out of the hat. Like, it was just a massive shock. I was like, wow. <laughs> um, and they, they put us both in. So I'm not quite sure who dropped out or who said no. But it got to that. It, it ended up that we had the opportunity to play. First name out of the hat. Um, but again, it was three weeks before the season, the transfer window had shut. We had no money, no staff, and no players signed. And, um, you know, we had to get ready to compete in our first ever professional game. So it was, it was back against the wall and everybody <laughs> working as hard as they could. Um, and it started out very famously, um, won that first game, to be fair. Like, Brilliant. Uh, we won, won the first game 1-0 against the defending champions of the league. Um, oh, even better. <laughs> but again, I, I probably, probably arrogantly and um, yeah, stupidly um, rested on that for a little while. I just thought, for myself, we won that opening game. I thought, right, here we go. Sponsors, <laughs> investors, they'll just come, they'll come knocking at my door now. And, you know, we didn't. And they didn't, and I didn't really think too much of it because I thought we were just going to go out and stroll it, but that's a mistake I'll never make again. <laughs> <laughs> but next step has now be has evolved into Anchor City, 
Um, was that kind of more about giving yourselves a, a location by which to like claim or was it more just the next step from moving from the more academy style to being a league yeah, team? Yeah, pretty much that. I mean, next step as it sounds, it sounds like an NGO, right? It sounds like a not-for-profit, mm. happy, lovely little place where people come and decide they want to be football players or coaches and we're going to help them do that. And it's all lovely people helping lovely people and, you know, and it's wonderful. And it, you know, it was a big part, but what, what we can't ignore is that football, professional football is a business. Whichever country you're in, it's a business and it needs to generate money and the type of investment that is needed, um, you know, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's massively, it's nowhere near what's needed in the UK or, you know, or Europe or anywhere else, but still for the region, the, the type the amount of money needed is people want to see a return on that or they want to, you know, they want to, and next step just had this, it just didn't have that right energy about it. Mm. Um, and we wanted to sort of, because we'd struggled so much in that first year, we really did want to change the image and try to, you know, give it, give ourselves a clean start um, and give that image a clean start. Um, and again, it's it's kind of <laughs> got away from us a little bit. But again, you know, we're we're learning every day. Uh, we're making mistakes every day, but we're we're learning, and that's pretty much the only thing you can do when you're making mistakes. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of image, um, I highly recommend anybody listening to head to the Anchor City Facebook page where there's a new kit after being posted and it is absolutely lovely. I will be ordering that on the home kit very, very soon. It is available worldwide at a very, very reasonable price. So check it out there, Anchor City FC on Facebook and across social. Um, just a little plug for you there, Charlie. Um, so, so how um, does football in Cambodia work? You said it's it's a new company taking over with um, a, a split divisions, promotion, relegation, all the good stuff that we like to see. But Cambodia, net, other than I think maybe uh, Kasuki Honda joining in the last couple of years, I don't think football and uh, Cambodia has really gone hand in hand for uh the, the Western world, really, that the, nobody would have been really paying attention. But I just had a quick look that it was based on the Soviet model, where it's very much kind of like the police has a team, maybe the, ar- the army has a team. Like, So are you basically up against like government-funded entities now, or is it have they turned private? A little, a little bit of both. So we do have... This was, a, this was a big problem in the transition this year because uh, they bought in um, the club licensing laws. So they have their own kind of national club license and what they've said is everybody has to be a commercially run entity and that's obviously the army and the police those teams have kicked up a fuss and um you know edc the electrical company they i mean they won division two last year um but they're now not here they're gone <laughs> you know because nice. they couldn't be government funded and, and the owner of that club just sort of said hey yeah, i was all right putting in some money if you know we were also getting backed by the government but if we're not then no chance i don't like football that much <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, it was that before, but now essentially every, I mean, every club is owned by a multimillionaire here, you know, um, and you know, although we're not allowed to say it and well, no one's supposed to know it, but we all know it, it's a secret that everybody knows and everybody talks about, but we're not supposed to is, you know, there are, there are owners who have two companies that 
own two clubs, but they don't do anything mm. together. They're not the same club. Of course they're not. <laughs> a bit like in Formula One where it's like, oh, they're not connected, but they'll use the same engine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. They're not going to help each other out. Of course they're not. Um, <laughs> you know, all the best players from one team are going there and the player gets injured, he moves to the other one. But um, yeah, so obviously um, there is there is those politics that mm. you have to kind of just stomach. Um, and... Yeah, I mean that, that's hard. I mean the whole the whole point, the whole reason for me really jumping at the chance, like I said, naively um, to take this club professional um, was because I had coached another professional club here, and the way that I had been released from that job, shall we say, um, stung. And I knew it wasn't because of football reasons. I knew it was because someone within the club didn't like the way I operated. And, right. Okay. And I had hurt his feelings, and that was it. You know, and that was, and that was the way I lost my job. And I, I kind of, it did sting at the time. And um, you know, I was kind of eager to jump, get back in as quickly as possible. And that was part of the reason we, we jumped as early as we did here. Um, but yeah, so to to track back, like multi-millionaire owners. Um, most of whom aren't expecting a return on their investment. This is a this is a hobby, a, you know, a, a, yeah, um, something like that for them. So we're caught in that kind of awkward space in between because one, we don't want to be owned by a millionaire who can dictate someone's career at the click of a finger or in a bad mood. However. Um, you know, we do need invest. We do need investors in investment, and Cambodian football in the, in our division just doesn't have enough pull. Mm. You know, yeah. so we're kind of relying on friends of friends or someone that's got. We have to kind of push that NGO feel again. You know, like that. You know, that we've got young players here. We're trying to develop them. You know, if you pay their salary for a season, it's going to cost you know, it's like a thousand dollars for their salary for a whole season or something like this. You know, you can. And so we're having to pull that that horrible string of this is still a charity, whilst trying to portray that image as a professional club. And it again, it kind of comes across sometimes in the way that we operate. You know, like yeah, you know, hand on heart. You know, that's that's kind of where we are. We're, we're always kind of sort of pushing and pulling, you know, between the two. Which kind of seems to be the, a universally felt problem across football. Cause I like, I know in, in the UK, there's a team that I pay a subscription to called AFC crew. And their whole thing is trying to change how football in the UK is done. So you pay a subscription every month and you become a board member. And it's very much like, it's a new form of fan ownership. It's basically all ran off Discord. Um, would that be, or that type of a model, be something you could ever explore? Yeah, listen, we 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 we've done, we looked down that road, and it's something I definitely want to do. So we were we were about to launch it at the beginning of last year, um, but I was I I had this whole model planned, and I was told just to hold because the idea is a good one, it's a great one, and it will work, especially in a sort of developing country. And our story is a fantastic one. Like, you know, from where we come from and 
the connection that we have with them, the things that we've achieved against all odds, people want to jump on our story. So they said, look, if you release it the way that it is now, it's going to sink very quickly. And it will just be an idea that was a good one that was executed poorly. We need to execute it better. And that's when we still brought in a marketing team, some marketing advisors said, right, how can we do that? And the first thing they said was, you need to change the name. <laughs> and that's how, <laughs> that's how we evolved there. And then since then, it's kind of like, it's, it's one of those ideas that's in the back pocket. Um, and we will launch it. But fan ownership and like I said, the whole idea being, we want to be a community run organization where, you know, we look, like we've, we've toyed with the idea, for example, of, you know, um, auctioning, auctioning one of the spots in our team you know, to a fan and things like this. And, or, you know, one, maybe you know, fans vote on man of the match each week and that player gets X amount of dollars or whatever, or, you know, or you vote and you put in five, $5 or whatever and it gets split. And all these different ideas where we can just interact with fans because what we want to do is give the game back to the fans, right? It's, it's, hor it's horribly obvious to the world that it's, corporately run you know you can you're seeing all you're seeing fine examples of it now in terms of um you know the money that's coming out of the middle east and you know you can see that uefa and that everybody's scared to say anything bad like you can't say anything bad because we know it's coming and that's a, it's a it is a it is kind of a stain on the game that we love right we, 100 <laughs> and we all want to I mean, I liken Cambodian football a lot to kind of non-league football in England. It's probably around that level mm. where, you know, there's good quality, um, but the money's just not quite there. And it's hard to treat them professionally or them to behave professionally when they're not paid professionally. You know, most of our yeah. players study, study and do extra studies and most others have got part-time jobs elsewhere. Um, so it's all, it's very much like non-league, um, in, in England and, you know, we have to find creative ways to survive because, you know, at this point, if, if we were to not survive or not to finish the season, everything would have been for nothing, you know, and that's, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, like I know I personally kind of keep an eye on the filipino football league and you're speaking of survival there one of the things that in like the last year that they struggled with is actually keeping clubs um so i think two or three out of ten didn't finish the year or maybe two of them didn't finish and one did and it's now gone um is that something that you've seen in cambodia where it may be hard for people to kind of keep uh an investment in a certain team because they don't know how long the team is actually going to be there for or have teams kind of gotten to a stage now where they have a bit of a, a little bit of a tradition going and people start to turn up and kind of are willing to put their their heart into it i mean we we, we lost eight teams in the off season Oof. now that's unprecedented like i cannot name or see any other country in the world that loses eight teams it was madness um, you know, I think it was, I mean, the Sweeper podcast, so there's a company called Young Pioneer Tours, who you probably know, uh, Gareth, who is good at, uh, on the board of Nauru, 
So he he wrote an article about it, and you know it was it was it was talking about CPL and how they'd come in. And before CPL had come in, we had twenty two clubs. Now we have sixteen, mm. and apparently football's growing. Like it made no sense to anybody. Um, what they've done is actually the uh, sorry the image of the game has grown and the popularity of the game has grown. The quality on the pitch is getting better, but essentially we lost eight clubs in the off season. Yeah. It's madness. And we survived that. Like that's the, that's the biggest <laughs> miracle we always like there was an off season of nine months. Imagine that as well, like nine month gap between season. And we managed to stay the course and clear our debt from last year and progress and we were ready to start the season and then the season got delayed again and again and again and then our investors got pissed off and ran <laughs> and and we ended up starting the season again pretty much where we started last season with no money but we didn't have any debt which was nice and it was just kind of like right but we had to stand in front of the players and say look once again we can't quite afford to pay you <laughs> you know we're, we're going to try and get money we're going to try and pay on a pay-as-you-play basis but you know the club has to come first and you know the the little support that we get from um from the federation and things like this has to go into us putting on games and that's that's the harsh reality and like you've mentioned it there not just not being able to play pay players on a consistent basis but the fact that like user professional kind of it seems in name only as an owner that must be frustrating but even more so as a manager when you're trying to work with these guys and get these guys to like give themselves to your ideas and stick with you Mate, you could not have hit that on the nail like this is it's what i've been saying because we get we're getting we're getting pumped at the moment quite a lot you know like last last week it was three games 14 nil 7 nil 14 nil now on mm. the surface it's like wow that's that's horrendous this coach must be terrible. Those players must be terrible. But the circumstances around that, it, it, it's madness. Like on the Friday before, on the Friday last week, I had told the players that we weren't playing the game on the Saturday because we had 11 players and one staff member. No money, <clears throat> no money. And we had to get across the country. Like there was no way we could do it. But at 2 a.m. on the day of the game, we were told we had to play that game. Not playing the game would mean a $2,000 fine and banned for two years. And, Jesus. And I'm like, <laughs> you can find me all you want. I can't afford the bus for $600, let alone your $2,000 fine. Do what you want. But it's the ban for two years that you're like, it's madness. Like, so you know we legally we, we I, I remember we put we put the afc law in front of them and said look in extreme circumstances such as this you are allowed to overturn the 48 hour um you know deadline rule but they just didn't do it and listen i don't blame them like but it's it's a ridiculously difficult thing to run a league especially in a developing country and and for the most part they have supported us so much you know we've missed certain deadlines and paperwork and things like this sometimes it's wrong or and or the wrong language or whatever so like you know they have been superb with us and very very patient 
Um, but it's, it's those moments where, you know, we had to release a statement after the game, then we got punished for releasing the statement because it made them look bad. I said, well, you're making us play with 11 players and one coach. What does that make us look like? You know, yeah. it has to be, has to be fair here. Like we're protecting our image and we're trying to explain to our fans, hold on, we do, we do care. We're not idiots. We know what's going on that pitch is not okay. It's not the standard that we want. The players are not, you know, usually these things should galvanize teams. You know what I mean? But with us, yeah. they don't, it doesn't like, but that's also largely because the man that's supposed to be galvanizing them and pulling them together is also the man that's failing to pay them, <laughs> you know, or failing to look yeah. after their health or failing to provide the basic things for them to perform. You know, and yeah, again, and then I'll go into the changing room and I, there are times where I forget that I'm the owner and I'll, I'll be their coach, but then I'm there when I'll forget the other way around as well. And I'll be the owner and I'll be like, how have we spent $2,000 on socks? Why are you cutting up your socks? <laughs> you know, and then I'm an owner again. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, so it, it's difficult to play both parts and, um, you know, we, we've just, we've just actually brought in uh, a new guy, uh, Richard Hargis, who's come in and, you know, we're, we're still sort of at the beginning of our relationship. And I think things are a little bit, um, there's more work than he first thought there would be. Um, but he and I are kind of wading through everything now and we're starting to, you know, find our feet and, but, you know, we've just got to get to the end of this year. Um, because yeah. you know what's what's planned and the potential that we have is is incredible. But again, we it's it's too difficult now with eight games to go. We're definitely going to finish bottom unless there's a miracle. Um, thankfully, there's no relegation, um, and there's going to be a revamp of the league in the summer as well. And there's a possibility they'll go back to one league, and we might get promoted anyway, which is. Again, madness. <laughs> <laughs> but even bring it to just on, on a football level, I, I noticed with the team uh, business on Wikipedia, so correct me if I am wrong, um, but you seem to have a good mix of nationalities, which um, for a coach must be quite difficult when I think you have you might have a Japanese player and an American player and maybe a Brazilian player and then the Cambodian players and you, you yourself are English um it must make for an interesting mix of uh cultures in the dressing room I wonder who uh, chooses the playlist yeah uh, well <laughs> you know what we we've actually got a public Spotify playlist which anyone could go and add some songs to if they wanted to <laughs> um because my players won't do it they're all too shy but I think there was a couple of players that put some Justin Bieber on there once and they just got absolutely <laughs> hammered. Like, what are you doing? Uh, you know, not some cool Justin Bieber. I think some of his, like, first songs when he was a kid, you know, like... A baby and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he just got, they got hammered for it and now everyone's kind of scared. Um, a Brazilian boy, Bruno, he put some samba music on there and, um, you know, again, no one knows what's being said apart from him and he can't sing, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, but again, it's it's a, it's it's another it's another area where I think when I was a young younger coach and growing up playing, the changing room was 
was a great place to be. And I, you always, like, as a kid, like, even when you play football manager or whatever, like, you play with your mate and you were like, what would your playlist be like? What, what are the songs that you'd have playing when you came out of the stadium? Like, you know, Fat Boy Slim, right here, right now. Like, that would be a great <laughs> song, you know? Like, I think, I think, who did that have that? Man City, I think, maybe. I think Man City had that song. I can't remember who has it, but, um, yeah. Yeah, like, things like that. And I, I remember my friend and I, we were talking about once there was a, there was a, a club in Germany that every time they scored a goal, there'd be a punk song that came on. The, like the crowd behind the goal would just be going crazy like a mosh pit. And we, I mean, we, we always dream of these things, but here, like just none of it has been able to be implemented because, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't escape it. But we tried banning phones from the dressing room before a game, but everyone does their own little workouts on their phones, you know, like they do their own stretch routines or whatever. And people have their own playlists. So they just listen to their own music. And it's one of those things where you have to kind of just, I'm always really, really disappointed <laughs> when I'm in the dressing room before the game, because everyone's just in their own little, their own little zone. And, um, you know, everybody prepares differently. But back when I was younger, I just wanted it to be like a high energy, come on, lad, bang, bang, like everyone's sort of messing around and, getting ready for the game like but it's not like that here you know it's very very yeah. in your own head focused players on facebook live and things like this and things like that i want to kill them but it's the way of the world now like you have to accept it you know <laughs> and just kind of looking at the kind of the broader scale the asian cup is going on at the minute and it's fantastic there seems to be kind of great interest um despite america not knowing who rivals are um on cbs but uh it's been some fantastic football um but obviously cambodia is not there has there been a kind of a plan from the top and i know we kind of mentioned them earlier like when honda kind of came in as was a technical director and then he was ma briefly manager and then he's on the 23s it kind of seemed that like bringing in a bit of star power trying to bring in a little bit of a next level professionalism it just doesn't seem to have kind of kicked on from there. So has anything been communicated to you as teams about bringing the national team forward or trying to work towards that with your players? Um, yes and no. So to backtrack slightly, the appointment of Honda was a marketing piece of genius, development-wise disaster. Oh. Because he's not a coach. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I, I don't care what player you are, what level you've played at. Ronaldo doesn't just transform, does, just doesn't transition into becoming a great coach. You know, you, ha you have to go through the steps of becoming a coach. You have to go through your licenses. You have to make mistakes. You have to, you know, listen to coaches and develop. You know, you can't just be, oh, I work under Ferguson, so I'll be like him. That's Ferguson's years and years and years of learning, you know, and man management. And you have to go through those steps. There's no, you can be fast tracked through it, but there's no, there's no easy way of doing it. And he thought it would be easy. He, he thought he would just be able to come into Cambodia and the Japanese way is the best way. And we'll turn Cambodia into a, a mini Japan team. And my argument would be, what have Japan ever won? Why are they good? Do you know what I mean? Like, they, yeah. if anything, they are the great, great failures of Asian football. They're always in World Cups and do nothing. Korea have got further than they ever have. You know, so 
from that side of things, I really hated it, but it was also, without going into too many details, I, I overheard conversations he's had, um, watched a couple of sessions that he's coached, and he's more con he was always more concerned with getting himself in the session than he was coaching the session. He okay. just wanted to keep, he, he kept going in and trying to show people how it should be done. Now, listen, I, I could play at this level. I, I could play at this level here in Cambodia. I've been tempted to, believe me. And, you know, I might, go, I might go into the last five minutes of a training session if it's a finishing drill, and I'll show the players how to put the ball in the back of the net. And they hate me for it. And I, I, that's my little five minutes of yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still got it. <laughs> yeah, still got it. <laughs> but listen, if I was going to be a professional football player, I would be a professional football player. I wasn't good enough, and that's fine. But he just cannot let go. He just couldn't let go. It was, it was all about him. And the fact that I don't think he knew anybody's name, apart from maybe the two or three top players in the, in, in the country. And that, I mean, that was it. And, but the marketing was, in the build-up to the Asia Games, we need football to have a good image. And did he change the image of the game? Did he get people excited about it? Of course he did. Of course he did. And he did oversee a couple of very famous victories for us, but that was largely down to the coach that he had with him, which was Felix, who is now the, the national team coach. Um, the, to give you a perfect example of what I'm saying, because it, you know I do have a, um, let's say, very negative history with Honda. As, as, as a person in Cambodia, like the club that I worked for, he was the owner of. And I, again, so we have a history. Okay. But to give you the prime example of what I'm talking about, in the national team had gone away for a week to play three games. And they'd lost 14-0, 8-0, and 2-0, something like this. And the players were right back in Cambodia, were getting off the plane showing the media their signed Honda shirt and hashtagging job done. And I mean, I was with, I was with another fellow head coach when that was happening and he was going mad because most of the players were his. <laughs> <laughs> so he's messaging each one of them going, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and that for me was the perfect representation of what Honda was as a national team coach for Cambodia. Yeah. To get to, to, to finish that tour and to have given everyone a signed Honda shirt. Man, like, come on. Um, but was football popular during the games? Amazing. The Southeast Asia Games, Cambodia was on show to the world and did an incredible job. The men's team failed. Terribly, but hey ho, everybody was excited about the future, and you know the new guy Felix. Felix was hired, and within a week, had sat down for an hour with every single head coach in the country. Wow! Do you know what I mean? Like, and he he wanted to listen about the challenges of every club. He was asking about players at the club. And he basically made it very, very clear to all of us and us who had finished second bottom in 
Division Two that year, he was saying, look, if you have a player that you think I should see, he goes, oh, listen, my door is always open. I don't want you to think because you're a, you're a smaller club out of, out of Phnom Penh that we're not going to be paying attention. And he, in that hour, he done more for me in that hour than Honda did in seven years. Yeah. And that shows the level of commitment that this new guy wants to go to. Um, and I mean, listen, he's got a, he's got a ridiculously difficult job because Cambodia can't, Cambodia is, I would say, probably developing the same as the others, but the others are starting seven steps ahead. Yeah. You know, so we're trying to catch up with Thailand. So we have to not develop the same as Thailand. We have to develop quicker, you know, for to have any chance to, to catch up. And unfortunately, it all, again, comes down to money. And there just isn't enough of that in the game here at this moment. But it's a, it's a great kind of statement of intent from the national team manager. And maybe that kind of idea might help you it, and his attitude might kind of inspire you in your own national team role, which is with <laughs> yeah. uh, Na- Nauru, which is how I came to find out about you, which um, Nauru has no football history. So how does has this all come about? Um, well, first of all, actually, where is Nauru for those that don't know? <laughs> it's in the, well, it's just above, not too far from Australia. So if you imagine Australia, if you look at Australia, to the top right on the map, like in the Pacific. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I've followed Paul for a long time. You know, he's obviously had his own um, amazing football journey. Um, you know, he wrote an article about me a couple of years ago for 442. Um, and we, you know, he's just followed, he's just followed the, the, the progress of the football club. But I think what, where we kind of connect is, you know, we, we do like obscure football, you know, and, and things like this. And, um, you know, I know Gareth, who is one of, who's on the board of the football club as well. He's good friends with Paul, and you know they he they did work together on uh, the Micronesia um, before uh, football before, um, and Nauru is something that's been in the pipeline for about a year, um, and then originally so originally I think they asked if I would be interested in being on the board and being part of the the football association of Nauru, and I said yeah of course you know like. Any, any opportunity to sort of work with this group of people and to have kind of another weird thing on your, on your resume, <laughs> you know, an obscure football thing on my resume was, was too good to turn down. And, and then I think it was about a week before the announcement, um, they sort of said to me, look, this is going to, this is going to be announced. It's going to move pretty quickly. Do you fancy being the head coach, you know, um, you know, we do have, like, obviously there it's been touted that, you know, there is an ex-Premier League player that's also attached to the project. And, um, you know, I think for, for the most part, he, he will be the face, he'll be the face of the project. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it'd be a case, it's, it's a case of sort of working alongside him and, um, you know, doing this interesting thing of, you know, giving this nation 
its first ever football experience. So for me, um, too good of an opportunity to turn down. And we'll always, with very bated breath, to find out who the Premier League fo- footballer is. Do you have any plans to vi- visit the island yet, or are you waiting for the first game, or is there any kind of conversation about that? Yeah, I mean, plans are plans are. There's a there's a loose structure at this moment. Obviously, um, there's a couple of things that need to be organised first. Um, namely, being kind of when we can announce the ex Premier League player and. I mean, a lot of things will work around that schedule as well. Um, I obviously will still be in Cambodia and I have my commitments here. Um, so for that part, you know, we're kind of, we have a rough guideline of what's going to happen and when we want it to, but um, always subject to change. But yeah, of course, I want to, of course, I want to go to visit. Um, you know, I've, we've begun doing some research and I've got a couple of fellow head coaches in the region that are we're having sort of weekly zoom meetings at the moment because the idea being what we know so far is that the afl is popular aussie rules football is popular on the Mm. island and they've beaten the uk and they've beaten australia and they've beaten the usa in aussie rules games so from that we can kind of guess that there is big physicality on the island (laughs) um so you know, how do we introduce football to this country? Do we go all tactical? Of course not. We're going to we have to sort of build around the basics of the foundations of like we're a big, physical, strong team, and build from there kind of thing. Um, but yeah, obviously, we're just just, just to, to be very that. selfish and push my nationality on on the world. Uh, might might I suggest um, Gaelic football as a kind of nice in between because we've had a lot of crossover between Gaelic football and Aussie Aussie rules. But at least we have the right shape of ball. <laughs> you'd be pleased. Uh, you'd be pleased to know Gaelic football is massively popular in Cambodia. Fantastic. Massively popular. I do. I do believe um, there is an organisation that are trying to bring a Cambodian team to Ireland to play. I love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, if I can find the link, I'll send it, because I can't remember the name escapes me off the top of my head, but I do know that, in, especially in the capital, it's massively popular. Incredible. I love that. Like This this, this is one of my favourite things about sport in general, but I think soccer is particularly good at it. It's just, it's the world lev- leveller. It kind of brings everybody together for the most random of reasons. And like, it's one of, the, one of the things I love about your story is the fact that like you started off in the UK and did your own little thing, travelled to Cambodia, saw an opportunity to make a difference and have, you've done it not only just for, in a footballing sense, but each of these players are a person and their lives is being affected by by this and i just i just think it's 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 wonderful and like naru is just like another step of that bringing football and an interest to somewhere that just hasn't had the opportunity yet it's it's just yeah it's it's very inspirational to somebody like me where as i say playing football manager in my bedroom can never compare but it's it's Getting to see somebody live that dream is is just wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate that, and you know, I appreciate people like yourself that want to bring these stories to the world because there are it's, it's not just me. There are thousands like me that are doing similar things, and you know, again, it's it's everybody's love for this game that that should be the driving force. You know, um, 
too often, too often I've experienced in my own experience in football, it's everyone's trying to one up on each other, you know, and it's everyone's it's too competitive here and there. And I, I don't see fo- I don't see the football world like that. I see the football world filled with good people that love this beautiful game. That at the end of the day, the result on the field is the least important thing when it brings so many people together to experience the same thing, you know, and sh- have that shared joyful experience. Um, you know, I get goosebumps thinking about it. My wife is always complaining. She's like, why are you so emotional about it? And I'm like, well, it's my, my religion. For me, it's, this is the only way I can describe it to her, the way that she feels about, you know, Buddha and her religion is the way that I feel about this game. Brilliant. Well, Coach Charlie Pomeroy, thank you so much uh, for, for join, joining me. And uh, if you want to follow Charlie, he's on Twitter, Coach Coach Pomeroy. Um, there's Anger City across the board, especially Facebook, I think is where you kind of have the main big following. And then Nauru also ha- just have their first Twitter page as of this week. Yes. So look them up and I'll be tagging them all in, in the social posts. And don't forget, buy your jerseys, check out Anger City on uh, Facebook and for the games. And we'll chat you next week. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And that was Charlie Pomroy, um, our first guest, Connor. What did you make of the coach in Cambodia? I mean, it's all downhill from here, Killian. I mean, that's one of the most interesting stories I think I've heard ever, really. Um, you know, from a kid kicking a ball in Pear Tree Park in Stevenage, you wouldn't even think you'd live in Cambodia let alone be a football coach there a club owner there I mean bouncing on to a, a national coach and and fostering an academy like I mean the thing the work he's doing out there is it's phenomenal and I think for a football manager Stan like yourself it's it's a dream come true oh like I'm I'm already going to be making a football manager career managing Anchor City now. I want to get them to the to the top of the Asian Champions League and uh, maybe do it like a nation building with the Cambodian team as well. You know, just make make Cambodia the new uh, football manager, um, kings of the world. Um, but I have to say, it was it was fascinating to kind of get a peek behind the curtain on the reality mm. of running a club and like how fraught it can be and how close to the line. Yeah, like, I mean, when, when you hear him talking about, you know, not being able to afford the bus to, to you know, the other side of the country for a game, and I suppose even taking out the the immediate financial struggles like that, even just the level of, of admin to, to keep it alive day by day, it, it, it kind of reminds you of non-league football in the UK, but I think, if anything, non-league football in the UK almost seems a bit more of a cakewalk because of the community around football in the UK. Not that it... Not that football in Cambodia isn't, you know, absolutely ginormous, but I think it's 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 a different thing, and I think Charlie has a, I think if Charlie was in the same situation with a, a non-league team, it might be that tad easier because I think you'd have more sponsorship opportunities available to you. I think you'd have slightly more uh, football association possibilities there. You know, when when he's talking about, you know, that that one or that the the kind of grant from the association only covers one of their games a year like what what's he meant to do you know i think it it, like with my interest in the filipino football league it's kind of a similar situation where you're not just trying to get people interested in it you're actually trying to like 
go against the wave of the popular sport like it, there's not that inbuilt um fascination that like you'd see in england or even here like soccer is not our main sport in ireland but it's still up there and you're like everybody you know is going to be kicking the ball at some point in some way or shape or form um and like other than honda who uh, (laughs) charlie had had his opinions on like that was the last time any of us would have been talking about Cambodian football. But from now on, we now have a reason because we have a team to follow is Anchor City. And um, yeah, like it's 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 fascinating to see um, how one person kind of like having an idea and kind of taking a chance and going out to somewhere like Cambodia can make, make such a difference because as he said as he said himself he was lucky to fall in with the right people and get the right people kind of around them and to be able to do what what he, what he's doing um but like you you have to people like him you kind of have to not think of what's happening today or tomorrow it's like where's it where's it going to be in 10 years and 15 years and like the legacy that's going to be left behind um which i i just think is 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 beyond fascinating i i just can't kind of like give him enough credit for it well you hit the nail on the head there and like you know obviously you would have picked up up his vibe kind of being conversating with him but even just kind of listening back to to your interview with him like it's hard not to buy in with guys like that you know it's 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 very much like his passion just comes across in every facet and like yes he's got frustrations that you know maybe start killing his love for the game but you can tell deep down if he'd a quid left in his pocket it'd be going to anchor city fc or you know to the team in Nauru or helping out other teams you know he he's you know you mentioned the afc crew model and and i know he, he's talked about the, the potential of going down that road and uh, you know with with the right kind of launch of that you have so many people falling in behind him because i i think you know he could pull on his connections across the world from from his, his football background but you know from uk ireland i mean i buy in and, and i know 10 other people that would too you know oh like i i, I really really hope he does because yeah that'd be that'd be sick and i and i know from um kind of being involved at afc crew that like it is a it is a game changer for for small teams like with afc crew they're able to um pay people not a lot but they're able to pay or give give more than a team at their level should be able to because they're in a kind of financial way and they're trying to do things clever and for the long term and um you'd imagine uh charlie would would do the same but before his head gets any bigger than we can we can <laughs> um is there any questions that you wished we uh, we got we, we could have got to or that what that was should have been asked yeah, I, I, for me, you know, I, 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 I think, you know, from a, there's definitely a part two to this for sure. And a three, four and five, I think, you know, Charlie's is definitely going to be a friend of the pod for, for a, a good time. I think, you know, I'm, I'm curious as those motivations for, for going kind of out to Cambodia for coaching, you know, and, and, and would he ever, you know, come back and try it again, the UK game and, you know, step away from the coaching side, remain his owner and, and, and kind of not multi-club it, but, you know, I think that that's of interest to me. And I think, you know, also, would he be open? I think once he started talking about the millionaire managers, you know, or not the millionaire managers, millionaire owners, mm-hmm. you know, it, I started to think, you know, would he, I think, would he be open to taking in sizable 
investment or does he want to have that control and does he want to build it in sort of a Wrexham ish story if you know what I mean yeah like it, it's it's one of, one of these ones that I don't think even he could give you an answer right now because yeah. like um although saying that um in the last a few days we saw tweets from the club saying that like they need to sell shirts um i think it was at the time it was 20 shirts in 48 hours to kind of keep everything going in the way that it should and um as i said i would in the pod i've ordered my my two shirts the limited edition one and um the the home one and i highly recommend that other people if you can do they're they're lovely looking and I'm very, very excited um, to get them. But if you are ordering, order a size up because Asian sizes are a slight, a slight bit smaller. So if you're looking for a medium, order a large. But a little bit of advice. They are beautiful kids and we're not even just saying it as a, as a favor to Charlie. They really are cool kids. But, you know, it, it kills me, though, you know, to see someone who loves the game that much, puts everything into it, both financially, personally, professionally, and like, the fact that clubs are having to put out tweets like that to survive is, you know, and we see it, you know, maybe not to that exact specific level, but across the game, across the world, how many clubs right now are on the brink just going week to week? Or we look back to COVID, you look back and think, how the hell, you know, during COVID, it could have easily been the same as in, in Cambodia where they lost eight teams at the end of the year, which when he said that, I was absolutely shocked. Like, when you see that many teams dropping out, the fact that they still have a league going is a credit to people like Charlie and yeah. that and and I think also to the likes of Felix, the the kind of new national team manager and his his appreciation, I suppose, of all levels of of Cambodian football. Oh, that was fascinating, especially when you consider like let's be very Irish centric here and like we're waiting for the new Ireland manager to come in, like if whoever he may be and if you want to find out who football manager thinks it should be go and listen back to an episode where we <laughs> covered that um but imagine the statement of intent and the goodwill that manager would get if they did what felix did and went to all the league of ireland clubs kind of go and listen if you have somebody that you think is ready or should be in consideration for the teams my door is open here's my number like which is like it, it's so simple. It's it's such a simple thing to do, and you know there's only benefits for any manager that does that. In this case, Felix, like okay, say none of those players from Charlie's team get picked. Charlie's bought in on that guy, which means he's gonna, you know, his players will buy in on that guy, and their fans will buy in on that guy, and that goes wider and wider and wider. And I think for, you know, if you're in hot water in your job results wise and you're making moves like that that's cash in the bank and i'm don't and I'm, i don't want that to come out and sound like that's why felix did it i absolutely don't think it is i think he's just a good football man but you know in, in the ireland example if you want to curry favor very quickly in this country lean into the league of ireland yeah and it's just it it's that kind of instilling um a pathway that can like push players on like where they don't feel they have to go to a different country to make it um which going back to old stats now i remember from a few years ago but um at the time daryl murphy was still playing sean uh, shane long was in in um the premier league and of the of the irish players that are actually playing at the top level i think five or six of them had actually uh 
played in the League of Ireland mm. and um, were getting all the benefits of it. This would have been under the Martin O'Neill um, tenure that like those that ended up having longer, stronger careers came from the League of Ireland. And um, Well, it embeds a resilience in you, you know. Yeah, um, you're playing against men that are playing for their wages, not yeah. playing in youth leagues. Um, but it was one of the kind of disappointing aspects of Kenny's reign was the fact that we didn't get to see that. And I think um, it's an exciting time for Cambodian football um, when you have a young coach coming in with that kind of an attitude and you have people as passionate as um, as uh, Coach Pom- Pomeroy in, in your leagues. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's just it's really, really good to see. Like, they have a population of 16 million people. Um, there's no reason why they aren't reaching um, at least the, the Asian um, the Asian Cup, at least sometimes. Because, like, you have that many people, there's going to be a lot of talent. Um, yes, there is severe poverty and, um, and social and political issues in the country, but... We've seen football raise people beyond that before. Well, that's the that's the thing, you know. You know, in Asia and outside Asia, you know, you know, of course, social economic situations affect a country's sports program. But you know, you look around at the likes of the favelas in Brazil; they've put out some of the best football players the world will ever see. And you know, and you just hope that that can happen for a country like Cambodia, and you know, with a country with a population of sixteen million people. There's got to be 22 lads and 22 women in that country that can that can put up a good fight, and you know, it, I'm excited to see see what they what they come up with. And you know, I I I had to laugh when when he said that Japan were the biggest failures in Asian football. That was a that was icy take. Yeah, that that, that that was interesting between between that and his 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 uh, absolute admiration of Honda. Um, it 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 definitely was was a, it was a kind of a a coddle of opinion, shall we say? Well, I think we, as you said, we've set the bar high on our first one and I'm excited for our next one. Um, and we will be back to our, our, our re- regular, um, normally fantastic podcasts and ne- next week. But just because Charlie did mention it, I do want to put in the name. It's Carger Kaima is the GA club. And oh yeah by the way side, <laughs> sidebar i know we're wrapping up there but that was i i was i thought he was making it up but like that is absolutely wild no it's and um i have an article here it they formed in 2017 um it's a combination of two cities uh two of the largest cities Siem reap and um phonem pe i guess uh apologies for butchering any pronunciations but they have even reached the final of the South Asian Gaelic Games which is, did you know there's a South Asian Gaelic Games <laughs> um, so yeah that's another one to check out um, Like the players are like are in the minority on the team, Like they're mostly Cambodians um, and let's face uh, it, they'd be a million miles better than us so, you know well who who knows and maybe uh, hopefully it'll it'll reach Nauru now via via um Charlie but yeah so it's Carriage Keimer check them out online another one so if you're not fully invested in soccer well at least there's the GEA for you in Cambodia because that's where it is at and that is where we are going to leave it Connor thanks very much for jo- joining me for this little kind of debrief after the interview and um we'll chat just next week bye bye.
I'm not into podcasts. Back of the net.